0: And so it has to me this connotation of like approachable luxury. And that's how I want everyone to feel about their 5 p.m. drink. It's a moment for yourself. It's a, you know, I think that the objects of daily life and of daily use still have to be beautiful.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to The Host by Tori Show. I hope you are having a great week, and I wanted to say thank you for the support on the launch and the first three episodes. It truly means so, so much. As you know, this is a completely new medium for me, so I want to hear from you what topics you want to dive into, who you want on the podcast, and what you are loving or not. I just got back this past weekend from being gone for three weeks traveling for the holidays. We were in Atlanta, Scottsdale, and then Hawaii. And let me tell you, there is no better feeling than getting home to your house or apartment, no matter where you were before. So unpacking and getting settled, I'm feeling really rejuvenated in the new year content wise. I was starting to get pretty burnt out at the end of 2020. So excited to be reinvigorated and produce quality content that I think will resonate with all of you. All right, let's get into today's episode. We have Melanie Massarin on who is the founder and CEO of Gia, a non-alcoholic aperitif. As many of you may know, Gia is my absolute favorite non-alcoholic beverage on the market, specifically their lime and salt spritz. So what did we get into? Melanie's decision to stop drinking to focus on her health, how prominent alcohol is in work culture how the company pivoted when their soft launch date was March 2020, the inspiration behind the name Gia and what it stands for, how Melanie took her prior experiences at Dig In and Glossier and brought those insights to Gia, and thinking about Gia as an experience and why they've extended into other products. This is a woman founder, an amazing brand, and a great discussion. Let's dive in. All right, Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on. I am so excited to talk with you because I have been a Guia lover for the past year and it is my favorite mocktail. So I wanted to first intro you and tell us who you are, where you live, your current job and or passion project, and then also your relationship with alcohol.
0: I am Melanie. I live in Los Angeles, California. I'm the founder and CEO of the Ghia and I generally don't drink. I like, I define my drinking journey by saying I'll have an annual martini. So that's about as often as I drink.
1: Okay, great. And I want to kind of dive in first to a little bit about you and personal, because I think that's going to feed into more around Gia and everything that you've built. But I know that you summered in France, or correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you did, and wanted to understand like growing up what hosting looked like And how did alcohol fit into that? And when did you decide that you didn't really want it to be a bigger part of your life? Just tell us about that experience and and kind of what you took from that.
0: Yeah. So I actually grew up in France, fully. I grew up in Lyon, and then I would spend every summer in the south of France. And there would always be people coming into the house, and they would stay over for dinner. It was a very nonchalant way of living. I feel like here, everything is much more planned and organized. And like, for us, it would be like people would come over for aperitivo or drinks when we would get back from school and then just like stay. And my mom would always somehow have food that she could put out on the table. It was very simple. And you know, I think when I moved to the US, I really realized that I was missing that. I was missing the informal dinners. I was missing home-cooked food a lot, living in New York City after college you know, everyone just eats out all the time and everyone has micro kitchens that are very difficult to kind of host in. And there was also alcohol everywhere. I mean, I literally come from a place that's like 30 minutes away from wine regions in Lyon. So wine is very affordable. You know, in the summer, it's like the men would drink pastis. I think I had my first pastis when I was like six, not like the full glass of it, but definitely, (laughs) you know, the first taste of it. And it was not really something that we... Worried about. Although I do have someone in my family who unfortunately struggles with alcoholism, so it was always something that was very present in my life. But you know, I I don't think that we separated the two. And then when I was in my mid twenties and I had a very busy job in New York, I was trying to figure out also why when I moved to the U.S. I always had these stomach pains, and you know, I felt very sluggish. I felt like I was very foggy, and I was you know maybe twenty five years old. I did an elimination diet, and when I did the elimination diet, I realized that alcohol wasn't like the main trigger for me, but I felt so much better without it. And it was very... uh, I was never a big drinker, so it was a very surprising thing for me to find out because I always felt like I was a very moderate drinker. If I drank, which was probably only a couple nights a week, I would usually have two glasses of wine, but those two glasses of wine would really prevent me from sleeping, and then I would feel very foggy the following morning. And so... There wasn't like a day where I decided, oh, I'm going to stop drinking entirely. But I think I got into like a very busy period of work. So I just like never really drank and then I never really drank again. So like I probably had, you know, I don't know, five glasses of alcohol in the past, like five or six years. And I often don't finish them because now my tolerance is so low and I don't really enjoy it anymore. Yeah, It was even harder to define because it was... Not like I had a label that I could assign to it to justify my not drinking. You know, like, oh, I'm pregnant. And then it's like, you shut down everyone who has questions. Or, you know, I don't know, I, uh, I'm i allergic to alcohol. Or I'm training for a marathon. Like, I just didn't have that shield. I just feel better without it. Seemed like not enough of an answer for a lot of people. Even though I think it's actually yeah. the most common reason, you know. It's like, you're not really supposed to feel better with alcohol. You're always supposed to feel better without it. But... So that's kind of like how I got the idea for Gia. It it was in front of my eyes for so long, you know, because I was not a big drinker and I was very aware when I was drinking of how it was making me feel. And then it's when I kind of like cut down like really entirely. It still took a little while for me to think that I could create this product, but I was very much complaining always as a customer that there was nothing for me to drink, that I always felt very alienated. Even if I was cooking for 20 people, I felt like a complete outsider and it's a friend of mine who pointed out she said I think that's what you should do with your career now
1: <laughs> yeah. and
0: that's when it started.
1: No, I mean, I feel like exactly to your point on the answer around drinking is something that so many people struggle with and even people will make up excuses why they aren't drinking because they don't want to have the questions associated with it like oh, I'm driving tonight or you know, like the pregnant thing is obviously only if someone's pregnant, but it it feels good to like have that shield versus having to say that you are maybe a more mindful drinker or that you don't drink a lot. And personally, I'm someone who was a big drinker for a while, went through a sober, curious point in my life. And now I've decided, I think more like you, where I want to be more mindful around drinking and I want to lean in when I crave it. So maybe a bit more, but I realize that the majority of the time I'm just like not feeling really good with it. And I think you made a point here around How do you create an experience with something else that's not alcoholic, but that still gives you the participation? And I feel like a lot of people, they want to be participating in the act of it, but they maybe don't want a sparkling water and they want something else. And the hard part about it right now is that alcohol is so glamorized out in the media that it makes it feel like it's going to do these things to you that, are going to be so glamorous. And in reality, it just makes you feel a lot worse. And I think Gia has done a really good job of like glamorizing not drinking or glamorizing a drink that doesn't necessarily have alcohol. But going back to you saying that you never really drank and then all of a sudden you just kind of slowly stopped, you never had this one period where it was like, oh, I'm just going to decide not to. You never had that label. Has alcohol at all influenced your relationships with people or your career. And it kind of sounds like no because you weren't a big drinker to start with. And then like you got so busy you just like weren't drinking, but would be interested, have any of your friends like questioned you at all or any experience with that?
0: My first instinct is to say no, because I feel like I always drank more from the perspective of taste. Like I like a glass of wine to accompany the meal that I'm having. It's more of a culinary compliment almost, but Definitely. I think it is, it permeates so many of our business relationships, so many of our personal relationships at the very beginning of not drinking. You know, I was single. I remember it was so hard to go on dates because I really didn't want to drink, but I also didn't want to have to spend the first 20 minutes of the day justifying myself and explaining that I don't drink. And I feel like it gives such a bad first impression because If you're not explaining it, they automatically think that there is something wrong with you. And even in work, you know, I started my career in finance and, you know, there it's like you go for drinks with people. Like we would go to places, this is like 2011, 12 in New York. There's no bar downstairs of the bank that has non-alcoholic drinks you know that's not a thing you know (laughs) and so you can't really be drinking water so even if like we were working crazy hours at the time I was definitely not drinking much then but we had to when we were going out with the bosses we had to have a drink right so and not for anything that they particularly said but it was just like an overall like social habit, almost and you know now i think it's much easier you know i also live in la where people drive a lot and i feel like i'm noticing that the trend is changing even faster than what we were hoping for when i started guia i went to dinner on friday night there was like a little performance and then dinner at chateau marmont which is obviously like a very celebratory place where people very much go out for like a nice evening and out of eight people at the table only two ordered glasses of something alcoholic so even though there's no non-alcoholic menu there now, which I'm very much working on because I pulled the GM. I was like, can you take a look? There's no one drinking here. And he said, I'll be emailing you. So I do think that it's finally <laughs> happening. You know, two out of eight seemed like this is the best. It's happening finally. Not that I'm trying do to count, like, that- change the world and make people not drink. But, you know, I think that if you're talking about normalizing, not drinking to make non-drinkers feel included, being at a table where two people decide to drink because it's Friday night and they want and they can and whatnot, and six are not drinking, like that's that was actually the goal.
1: Do you notice when you don't drink alcohol that other people who may have wanted to drink, like they see you not drinking and decide to not drink too? Like, do you see that kind of like cascading effect? Because I've actually found that the more that I ordered non-alcoholic drinks, people are like, oh, actually, you know that, you know, an athletic brewing sounds good or like, oh, I'll try a Ghia. So I'd be interested to see if you've felt like there's been any effect on other people from just like your own personal habits outside of you owning a non-alcoholic beverage brand.
0: A hundred percent. I think that was actually what really gave me the idea for Ghia was that I started noticing that when I was confident enough to say that I would not be drinking. I was hearing all the time, like, I don't want to eat out because I don't want to drink. And to me, this shouldn't have to be materially exclusive. I love eating in restaurants. So I think that like living in New York 10 years ago, that was what we were doing a lot. And I love restaurants. I love chefs. I love food. And I think it's totally fine to be enjoying a meal without drinking, but it wasn't yet commonly accepted. And I started realizing that when I was opting out, it would often almost give this permission to others to do it as well. And interestingly enough, I... Think that if everyone is ordering alcohol, it puts pressure on whoever is not drinking to also order alcohol, but the reverse is not true. I don't feel like having six people at the table on Friday, you know, deciding to have sparkling water or whatever was on the menu. I don't think it prevented like anyone from having a glass of wine because there's always a big menu with wine by the glass or like cocktails are always ordered in one and and all of that so it just doesn't seem to be the case and so we're not seeing any kind of like adverse effect from that either or people maybe may right. maybe you know excluded because they're drinking like we're we're just not which is a good thing I guess.
1: Right. So Gia, let's get into it because I'm obsessed. I want to I honestly have so many questions for you on just like the product and brand and company and how you've built it. So give us the quick, if you can, journey for you from ideation. And you, you know, said some people started to give you this idea, you saw it in front of your eyes, ideation of this idea of this idea of this drink to first product on shelves. And I know it was during COVID, during like a tumultuous time, but if you could give us the quick backstory there.
0: For sure. So I started working on Gia now four and something years ago with the idea that you should have a drink that's for people who love food, but that's non alcoholic, but that's made as thoughtfully as an alcoholic drink, has the same complexity as an alcoholic drink, but has better transparency. You'll notice that a bottle of Campari or Aperol doesn't even have an ingredients list on the back. That has better quality of ingredients, only ingredients you can pronounce, and no added sugar, no flavors. It's all like real stuff in it. So that took a really long time to create because we had to... There's the first stage, obviously, is developing the formula. The second one is actually mass production of this formula, so finding a factory that will have the bottling line of an alcoholic drink, but the kind of cleanliness of a um, food place, because we don't have alcohol to kind of naturally preserve our drink was a huge challenge. We, you know, really wanted again to introduce GIA through the hands of our community. At the time Seedlip had launched and I was very impressed with what they had created. They were not in the U.S. yet when I started working on GIA. So it was sort of like a case study. Someone brought me a bottle back from the UK and I remember thinking like, this is gin, this is fake gin. And so for me, I was like, if I wasn't drinking, like I didn't want fake gin, which by the way, I'm so impressed with what c has created in such a short amount of time. And they've really been like at the forefront of this category. And also similar to us have really taken like a big approach to being on the best bars and restaurants so that people will not have to decide to not drink only when they're at home. And so- I'm very impressed. So this is not throwing shade whatsoever, but it just wasn't what I wanted to drink personally. And so I really wanted to create a drink that I wanted to drink. And that drink would be a unique flavor. I didn't want to recreate something that already exists. So the goal was where we were going to launch it through the hands of our community. We we're going to partner with like 50 restaurants and do a soft launch for a few months to kind of get feedback and refine our formula. And that launch was set to be the first two weeks of April 2020. So
1: oh my gosh. shortly before we
0: launched, we had already made our production <laughs> and we were finalizing every detail. Obviously, all the restaurants closed down uh, and it was a pandemic. So we pivoted to launching online. And, you know, it was also the revised launch date was right around Black Lives Matter. So our go to market was kind of completely thrown out the window. And we basically just posted on Instagram and we were like, hey guys, like this is totally not a priority right now, but we have been working on this for a while. And if you happen to like sometimes not want to drink, more guia, drinkguia.com, come find us and get a bottle. You know, we didn't really get any press because a lot of the focus was on covering, you know, black founders at a time and, and all of that. And, you know, I think it's rebalanced a little bit now, but it was really like the theme for that summer, right? And and hopefully lasting period. But so we had a little piece of coverage in Vogue and that was it. And so we were, it was a very discreet launch, but people really came to support and we had a really strong first day. And then, you know, we still couldn't meet our community in person. We did a little like streets gathering where everyone was masked and we were serving spritzes like very, very arm's length to people. And that was pretty much it. It was like our friends and family. We couldn't even get into our warehouse. We had to rent down a restaurant that was shut down and we were shipping orders from there. So there was nothing that was like about the vision for my launch. Nothing went right, but still, you know, I think people really related to the product. And what we saw over the few following months was we had about 10% of orders that were gifted. So people were gifting Gia to their friends that they knew maybe had been drinking a lot at the beginning of the pandemic or to their parents who had a little cocktail ritual in the evening. And and so I was reading all the gift notes at night because it was giving me kind of strength and confidence that we had to keep pushing, even though things were obviously very difficult. And so, you know, fast forward two years and a half and we're here today. And obviously, you know, things have changed. We're now on Amazon. We're in 1,100 stockists around the country, most of which we still service direct. So we're, you know, we still haven't... We now have a few distributors, but they're still it's still a very nascent channel for us. And I believe that it will be the big priority for next year because now there's real demand for this product. But three years ago, you could not find someone to distribute your spirits alternative. So it's an interesting run to the races now.
1: Yeah, no, totally. So you've had a, a variety of jobs like banking, Glossier, consulting for Sweetgreen, green. So have some experience in consumer. You have the you know the business background and got the analytical skills on the banking side. How did those experiences shape how you decided to build this brand? And I think like team in particular is something that's especially for a small business and one that you know you're starting on yourself and like how you hire the right people. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided to take snippets from those past experiences to build the brand and then who you hired? Or like how you um, decided to hire. Yeah. I
0: mean, my first hire was Henry, who's our CEO still to this date, and he was a friend of mine, and he was kind of the only one who was down to work on this with me. So that was kind of the filter. It was like I think at the beginning when you're starting your company, your hiring filter is people you know because they're if the vision is in your head, like that's the only way for them to vet whether they think it's going to work is to know about your competency and so you know henry had just we had worked together before we had been friends for a long time he was a little burnt out i think from his previous job where he had been for eight years and he worked in design and i was designing freelance at the time and working on gear at the same time and he said i'll help you with the design stuff if you want to focus on the beverage one first because we also didn't have a name for Guy at the time. And then he said, but first, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. I'm going to the south of France. I'll be back. And then he came back and he was like, I get it. I want to work on the aperitif with you. So that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. My experience, you know, at both Diggin and gossier I think have given me a... Um, neurosis with an obsession with quality I think in general so whether it's the quality of our ingredient or the quality of the customer experience like we really sweat every detail and that's something that I learned from both of these places and I think that's what differentiates us you know I think candidly since we launched there's been quite a few copycats now some that have names that are very similar to ours some that have like shapes on their can and all of that and like. Obviously, it's annoying, but I feel very good about the quality of our product compared to theirs. And I think that whatever we do, we always think like, is this the best that we can do? And so I think that that's really something that I learned from them, whether it was the supply chain and sourcing and obsession with working with farmers at big or just, you know, delighting customers when I was at Glossier and kind of reinventing something that already existed, but to make people feel confident, whether it's like, wearing, you know, almost no makeup or showing your skin first or not drinking. It all also comes down to breaking social stigmas. And and I think you mentioned something like glamorizing not drinking, which is, you know, I think glamorizing almost means like making it kind of cooler than it is in real life. And it's like, well, no, I'm actually just trying to show that that it's cool and normal and that you don't need it. So you know, the first ingredient is you was a tagline from Glossier. And I actually use it a lot when we talk about marketing at Gia. It's like, we always want the customer to be the hero. Gia is not the hero. We're just here for your good time. So those are, you know, key takeaways, but obviously there's many more.
1: I love that. And you said that there was a point when you didn't know the name for Gia. So can you tell us how you decided on the name for Gia, and then also the branding? Because I think that I read somewhere that you saw someone who put on like a concert venue or something and you were like, I want to work with that person. But can you talk to us a little bit about like the inspiration for the actual like branding, which I absolutely love, but then also the name.
0: Yeah. So we worked with Willow Perron and Associates. They're actually now they're renamed Perron Rotinger. So we had gone to a concert and we had been kind of struggling to pick an agency to help us. And I have, I've always had very strong kind of like design sense and I sort of knew what I wanted Gia to feel like and I think in general I'm like a bit of a tough filter and so I just like there was nothing that was right basically and so we tracked down the person or the team that designed that concert and then you know met with them in New York and back here in LA I was actually moving to LA for a few months for a project and they found a name and it's actually inspired by a car designer Jacinto Gia who started Carrozzeria Ghia in Italy, which was a car shop that famously designed the Carmen Ghia and other cars. But the Carmen Ghia is a very special car to me because it has these very clean lines of like a beautiful sports car and a beautifully designed car. But it was also very approachable. It's a Volkswagen, it's very easy to maintain. Still to this day, they're not very expensive. And so it has to me this connotation of like, Approachable luxury, and that's how I want everyone to feel about their 5 p.m. drink. It's a moment for yourself. It's a, you know, I think that the objects of daily life and of daily use still have to be beautiful. We use no plastic, we really think about how we design things. The exposed can on our little spritz is also inspired by car design. So these things sort of tie together we always say utilitarian chic. And I think that that's like, that defines the design of Gia very well. You know, it's a little exuberant, but not for the sake of being exuberant, more for the sake of, because we're competing with these decades of old school marketing on the booze side, we have to be unapologetically loud. And so that's what Gia is about. It's not about like a less version of an alcoholic drink. It's not called like sans something or like non something or which, you know, probably would help us because it's like, we have to explain who we are so often. And it's quite difficult and probably, um, you know, much less intuitive to people. But for us, it was really important to kind of do our own thing.
1: No, I love that. I, something that I've heard you say is like Gia is meant to create these meaningful experiences and not meant to be just like a non-alcoholic drink in general. It's like much more than that. And everything that you talk about from the branding to the quality to who you're having it with, I think like really speaks true. And so, you know, you have the the bitter aperitif, you have the spritz cans, like three flavors, which I love. You have now the hazelnut spread, you have some of the glassware. So can you talk about expanding into some of these different categories and the inspiration behind like the hazelnut spread or the puzzle or the glassware and how that is an extension of the brand and what you're trying to create with that
0: for sure i mean first of all i have a passion for designing objects and i think we have so many ideas this is henry jokes that he lets me do one crazy thing per year and so one year was the and we did it as a holiday kind of surprise and then when we removed it people were really complaining because they loved it so we decided to bring it back we reformulated it we're actually reformulating it again, um, just because the oil kind of like separates a little bit because it truly is 100% natural. But, you know, I think that they kind of serve different purposes. So, you know, Gia has a few different mission statements and some of which obviously overlap with mine, but, you know, we really want to create meaningful experiences and we want to be a catalyst for these meaningful experiences. So whether it's, you know, a night to remember or just being a catalyst for good conversation, we often say like, um, slow sipping and fast talking. Dia is here if we kind of like unite. And when we were talking about the holidays and gathering, like one product that kept kept coming up over and over again in sort of European experiences is Nutella. And Nutella being like, like you have this like childlike wonder of like Nutella. My sister was obsessed with Nutella. She would get like at Christmas under the tree, she would get the like five kilogram jars. That's like what, 12 pounds or something of Nutella. And it would not even last for the whole year. And so we're thinking like, why Nutella was just such a good product, like such a delicious product, such an incredible brand, single product. Like how do we create this delightful moment that's still an indulgence, but make it better? And so we created a gandhia that has, it's made with olive oil instead of palm oil. Palm oil is incredibly damaging for the environment. Um, Harvesting of palm oil like really destroys natural habitats. It's also not good for you and the natural habitat of many animals. And it's also really bad for you. So we decided to create a ganduya that would be all natural and has um, half the sugar as regular Nutella. So it still has sugar in it. This is not like our drink product because I think Nutella is meant to be eaten sporadically and it's sometimes fine to have, you know, everything in moderation is fine. That's kind of our philosophy. Right. So that was Nutella. It was, it sort of become a permanent product because people really love it, but It's not a product we're investing heavily in. We always want to make sure it's really delicious and potentially we'll, you know, do a couple more things like that in the future, but it's not a core product line for us. However, I think another big part of our mission is to also break down those stigmas around drinking and a lot of the stereotypes and just imagery in general around alcohol, you know is kind of like in our heads, glamorizing, boozing at the bar in a martini glass, or glamorizing, you know, you can't have an alcoholic drink in stemware. Like people always ask us like, what's the recommended glass for Ghia? And it's something I've been thinking about long and hard, because in the summer, you can have a cocktail that's maybe a little bit more diluted and serve it in a highball. And then some restaurants just like their natural wine bars, they only have wine glasses. They don't want to carry another glass. They'll just have a few cans of our spritzes, for customers that don't want to drink alcohol, but still want to, you know, go on a date. Like, let's talk about that customer, yeah. for instance. And they'll just pour a spritz of guia in a wine glass. And that's also fine. But I was thinking, like, what would be the ideal glass for guia? And I was thinking of, you know, how I love martini glasses. But I also think that guia is about, like, maybe, you know, you can have a guia. A lot of people say they order guia, they have it in their fridge, they have it on their own on Tuesday, and they'll add a splash of Mescal to it on a Friday. And that's also fine to me because mixers are also full of sugar and um nasties and so i love it if people use it that way and so i thought what's a glass that really breaks down those you know categories and um blurs the line between the daytime and the evening and so the stemless martini glass just felt like a very natural fit and i was trying to look for beautiful stem or martini glasses to kind of use in our photo shoots and i was always really struggling and always had to buy vintage ones but as a result like if you look at our imagery on our side, our recipe book, it's all different types of glasses depending on the cocktail. And you end up associating it more in terms of like flavor profile then. So you would have like a stemless glass if you're making like a guia mojito, but not because of the guia and it's more because of the mojito. And I wanted to create a glass that was ours really. And, you know, we had not done any collaborations to date. So I wanted to work with a friend and and, um, I approached Sophie, who's an amazing glassware designer. And for those of you who don't know her, I highly recommend checking out Sophia Jacobson. She also makes these plates, which I'm dying for. And so, yeah, we started like, we, you know, we were at the bar at the nines in New York and she was having a martini. And then I actually had one of their like very nice non-alcoholic drinks. We started really just doodling on the back of a napkin and, and you know, this holiday we, we don't forget collection and it's been doing incredibly well. And I think it like, it's really nice because people can use it for lunch with sparkling water or use it at night with alcohol. And it's, if you have a small kitchen, like this can be your glassware collection and they will always feel a little bit fancy, but also never too much. And so I'm quite proud of how they turned out.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I really like that. I think honestly, so much of drinking, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic is all about the glass. Like I say that all the time, Like people want to have a really fun glass. And I like that you thought specifically like, Gia needs its own type of glass and what type of experience can I bring to that. So I think that's that's really cool. Obviously, there's like so much exciting things coming for the brand. I am interested in like what gets you jumping out of bed each day. I know you have a ton of ideas that are going on. And then I'd also be interested to hear and because you were talking earlier around how you started more D2C and have now been going to some more restaurants and getting broader distribution. But like is more of your focus on expanding distribution for restaurants at bars, et cetera, more so than D to C are you balancing both? Like how are you thinking about those just going forward? I guess more in like the near term?
0: I think we're trying to grow all channels, but we're being very realistic about how people shop for alcohol and how people shop for food and beverage and how they may be looking for where they may be looking for a drink. So for us, you know, I think A lot of direct-to-consumer brands they're really focused on subscription they're really focused on you know keeping people on the site and like candidly i think that was very relevant five years ago three years ago i think things are changing and so i want to be very flexible and open-minded with this stuff i would rather you know, test and learn across a bunch of different channels and make it easy for our customers. And right now, it seems like the fastest growing channel is restaurants because a lot of them are reopening. Maybe they finally finished what was behind their bar during COVID, which was like unlimited and now they're really testing new things, maybe because the category is picking up. But I think in general, like we are seeing growth across all channel. Like Amazon is growing a lot for us as well. Maybe taking some sales from our site, but our site is still growing. As people develop like a deeper affinity with Gia, we're seeing subscription grow a lot. We have now a very flexible subscription. So you can skip it whenever you want. You can order, you know, as little as 12 cans and, if you say like 12 cans every six months, like that's totally fine for us and you'll still get the subscription pricing. So so subscription I think is like just a better product now and like the people that love it, like really love it. But it's not for everyone. So I think for us, we're still seeing like a lot of shifts after COVID and we want to be available in Whole Foods, of course. Like we're not there yet. They haven't really taken on the category. So we want to be in all those places. It's just taking a little bit of time.
1: Yeah, I get it D to C and all of my friends who get it, go D to C unless they're in New York and they can go to Busan, but I have everyone asking me, like, where can I get this in person? Where can I buy this? And I know all the non-alcoholic bottle shops are coming up on on the rise, but I would love to buy Gia at Whole Foods soon. So put in a plug to Whole Foods for you. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay, let's do some rapid fire to end. So if someone had to describe your hosting style in one word, what would it be? Frequence. (laughs) Frequent. Yeah. I mean, I look from your stories and it looks like you're always getting people together and entertaining and looks like you love it at least. Yeah. I'm
0: like, I go between like, I always want to just have a dinner for six. And then everyone's like, Melanie is having a dinner party on Saturday. And it's like, ends up being 25 people and it's a bit stressful, but I'm also, you know, in the process of writing a cookbook. And so I'm also just testing a what? bunch of stuff. And yesterday I made this cake and I was like, not sure how it's going to turn out. And I had to leave for dinner. You had to let it cool down. So I literally offloaded it to one of my neighbors. And I was like, cut a slice in an hour and tell me how it is. Like, I think it's too milky. And I think that I don't like this flour. And he was like, I like it. I think I prefer the flour, regular flour cakes. But like, it's good. I was like, okay.
1: So That's definitely so
0: just overcooking. But I love it. And, you know, now it's like a really big part of my life. So I don't know that I have like a, a hosting style. It's pretty casual. It's definitely European, but it's frequent for sure. <laughs>
1: How would you describe European hosting in terms of like the casualness? Like what do you exactly mean by that? I think it's just much more natural.
0: It doesn't have to be yeah. so planned, you know. There's just um at least in where I grew up, it seems like it's something that people do a lot more. And so there's less anxiety around it.
1: Yeah, totally. I feel like people when they realize they're hosting, they're so frantic and I have to get all the stuff and they're missing stuff and something's in the oven and then people are coming and they're trying to put out drinks and it's like a whole production. But yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. So what is your favorite drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? And also what is your favorite spritz flavor?
0: My favorite drink is Gia. I have a very simple version of Gia, which is just Gia and sparkling water that's my favorite i still drink the bottle the most and then i will have like a twist of citrus in it i really like lime but i'm also totally fine with lemon and if i use lemon i'll usually put a full slice of orange in my drink because i love that kind of feeling it's a little negroni and it's very summery so it's really meant to be so simple i almost always have topo chico in my fridge and it's like guia topo chico and literally whatever i have on hand and if it's like a sprig of rosemary or you know, dried citrus or whatnot. It's like not even mandatory, to be honest. I just like it very cold and pretty well carbonated, which is people often ask me how you make the bottle taste like the spritz. And the trick is it has to be cold and it has to be well carbonated. So using cappuccino is kind of key. My favorite spritz flavor is the OG. So it's the original one, which is the most bitter one. I think I have a very bitter palate. I wish Gia was even more bitter, but (laughs) it's not for everyone. So we made it not that bitter and just like kind of like fresh and dry, which I think is important to differentiate from a traditional mocktail, which are often very sweet. So original
1: yeah. No, I'm with you on the bitter and obviously like watch shark tank and people's have visceral reactions to bitter for some reason. What I like about the spritz is that one, you can control your own sweetness if you want to put in it, because like you said, anytime you get a mocktail, it already feels to be super sweet or any of like the pre canned drinks right now. So I love the OG spritz too. I think it's so good. What is your favorite type of get together? If you're hosting or if it's something around the holidays or if it's when you're back home, like what type of thing do you like doing the most when you get together with people?
0: I just love a dinner party.
1: A dinner party. I
0: yeah, I just like I love a dinner party. It doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be super fancy. I love going over to someone's house. I love receiving people in my house and you know i i like when my friends feel comfortable in my house like that's my favorite thing so i definitely have like an open door policy and like sunday afternoon i'm often like making cakes and working on the book now my friends will text me and be like are you baking anything can i come by like and they'll like you know sometimes we'll just like i'll be in the kitchen and like we'll like turn on the tv or do something and i'll like watch a movie it's like so cozy and i'm like then we taste everything together and i think that that's just so
1: nice that's so fun Okay, last one. I think I know the answer. Do you prefer to host or be hosted? Mm, I like both. It's sometimes really nice to
0: also not cook, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so not plan anything. So I, I often, you know, I feel like I'm definitely like the decider in my professional life, and sometimes I just love to like relinquish, not think about anything. It's hard for me to be in someone else's kitchen, and I'll try to help. So I'll usually be on cleaning duty if I'm going over to someone's house, but but I, I also love being cooked for.
1: Obviously. Okay. Melanie, tell us where we can find you and how we can best support you and Gia. And is there a teaser on the cookbook or is <laughs> no. do people know that's coming out or? Okay.
0: I, I guess that's maybe it's the first time I talk about it publicly. I don't know. I've been like agonizing over it for a few months. I'm just starting the process. It takes two years. But I was approached to do it like about a year ago now. And I've always wanted to do a cookbook. I just thought I would do it when I retire, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 60 or 70. I didn't think it would be now, but why not? So I think that's probably something that will come to life in 2024. And you can find me on drinkia.com or at Melanie Mazarin on Instagram or at drinkia on Instagram.
1: Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. See ya. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. As you know, I am not a specialist and I'm not trying to give advice whatsoever. These are just my own personal thoughts and conversations. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the show if you can. It helps so, so much for those starting out. And feel free to find me on social channels, Host by Tory, and my website, www.hostbytori.com, where you can find everything about what I do and what I offer. Thank you.